All right, it says we are rolling live. We're streaming, man. How's it going on this uh, Saturday evening? 7 p.m. Atlantic Daylight Time over here on the east coast of uh, Canada. And we want to look into Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and following. More so in the investigative manner of recognizing the context and the meaning behind what Christ said, so commonly understood within Christendom as for Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's what we're going to look at. A bit of housekeeping real quick. Please consider subscribing, following, giving us a thumbs up, leaving a comment, sharing the link far and wide. And you can certainly consider the opportunity to support the Added Souls ministry by signing up at Added Souls dot locals dot com you can freely sign up there and choose how you wish to support no amount is too low no amount is too high and uh it's a beautiful thing isn't it stefan may is my name i labor alongside the east coast church of christ you can find our facebook page east coast church of christ and you can check out the dot com east coast church of christ dot com good stuff usually on saturday evening I'm with my wonderful friend, Brother Andre Moore, for the Back to the Bible Q&A session for the work of the Oakleaf Church of Christ. But uh, our dear brother had some uh, prior engagements, and so I just figured, well, we'll just go live with the Added Souls work and uh, have ourselves a conversation in regards to, again, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. I'll try to have my my platforms open here in case there are any comments or questions along those lines. That's what I'm going to do right now. Matter of fact, if I can, let me see here. Hope you all are having a wonderful day, wonderful Saturday, wonderful Saturday evening. It's evening for me over here. I'm not sure where you're at and what time you what time zone you're at, but uh, yeah, I figure we can have ourselves a conversation, huh? Eh? Why not? All right, so I got that one open. I don't think I can open them all, but. We are streaming currently on Facebook, on um, YouTube, on Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Rumble. I think is like the locations where we are streaming live. So, uh, yeah, by all means, whichever, which platform you're more comfortable with, check us out. Not good? All right, let me see here. In Luke chapter 23... Verses 32 and following, of course, we are looking at the witnessed and recorded account of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in the final moments of his life as he is crucified, and more so, of course, accurately within the moment of his crucifixion. And if you rightly handle the Gospels uh, within this recorded account of his crucifixion, you will see, I think, the discovery of approximately seven things Jesus has said in in all, in all of them. And uh, quite fascinating, obviously. His thoughts being upon the people and their well-being. His thoughts upon uh, his compassion, his thoughtfulness, the fulfillment of uh, the redemptive plan of salvation for mankind. Quite a powerful, uh, quite a powerful testament uh, to be fulfilled and purchased by his blood. It is of necessity, obviously, for without his blood... Uh, there would be no hope for mankind. It is simply an objective, absolute reality of our existence. Without Jesus, 
there is no hope in life. And that's just what it is. Them be the facts, whether we accept that or not, whether we reject it or receive it. It just is. It is an undeniable, objective, absolute reality of our existence on this earth. It had to happen in that way, and God controlled the manner in which it took place, and Jesus Christ, God on earth, among mankind, was always with the authority and control of the moment in which he would certainly allow himself to be murdered. And that is the account we can recognize, and it is a certain powerful account, which would allow the opportunity for mankind to receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins, which is most necessary, of high priority if we are to be in fellowship with God, for God is love and God is pure. God is not lawless, and so we, of our independent accountability, when we attain that intellectual capability, choose to practice lawlessness, iniquity, sin, we sever ourselves from the blessings found within the innocence of our Lord and Master and the unity we had with divine power. From conception to the moment of independent accountability, we choose to sin, we alienate ourselves from the great I Am, the Ancient of Days. And what is the remedy? What is the cure? Is there any bridge to be built in which we can find ourselves in fellowship with the Father once again? Yes, there is. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only answer, and that's all there is to it. Acts 4.12, there is no other name in heaven nor on earth. There just isn't. And with all love and respect, you won't find it with Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or any other foreign religious worldview, practice, or tradition. It is solely found within the branch of Christianity, the accuracy of the Christ in the image of the scriptures, revelation, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, the 66 books of the uh, Holy Bible, right? And so in Luke chapter 23, verse 32 and following, we shall see the crucifixion of this man named Jesus Christ. Jesus, man, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. God on earth, experiencing humanity, though not here for the cause of mere experience, though that is indeed a perspective of study that is quite interesting, that God on earth would experience hunger, fear, or compassion, all these emotional blessings that we have that can be useful or can be indeed an agency of deception upon our own selves if we allow ourselves to be misguided within our own emotions. But it's a powerful account. It's recorded there for mankind forevermore to instruct us and open uh, our thoughts in humble and submissive fashion to love. Love. The truth. Reality, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. It sets us free, John 8, 31 and 32. 
Jesus had to die. And this was set forth from the first birth prof, uh, uh, messianic prophecy, if you will, of Genesis 3.15. And throughout the prophets, all come to completion, to its fulfillment, which would be the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ. And in this location here of the recorded text in the Gospel of Luke, we find verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What does that mean? Why did he say that? Sadly, the ocean of misinformation, if you will, within the denominational uh, um, worldview has, for various purposes, hijacked that verse to create it in its own image, to apply it to its own fleshly desires for tradition purpose, perhaps, or for whatever other reason, if you will, uh, within um, the various branches, again, of denominationalism. But what does the Bible truly mean with this verse and what's taking place in this account? And you and I can have a discussion and come to know exactly what is happening and why it is happening and why it is being said. Let me just open up again here, a few of the locations to make sure. Yep, there we go. We're still rolling. Verse 32. We begin chapter 23, Luke. It says, When they came to the place called the Skull. <laughs> oh, there's a fitting name, isn't it? The Skull. Already an image of death, right? There they crucified him and the criminals. So Jesus was not alone. He was shamed to be the product of capital punishment under the sole authority that could produce that policy, which was the Roman oppression. See, the Jews, the Jewish culture and people had no longer ability to produce or enforce that policy. They could do a great many things through their socio-political uh, governance and leadership through the Sanhedrin, but they did not have the power to produce capital punishment. They needed to go to the hands of godless men for that purpose, and that's exactly what they did, which is, of course, a sad testament to the people of the day who were walking uh, in the age of the Christ, who would choose to, as his own people, his own culture, uh, send him to the hands of godless men to be crucified. And so here he is in the moment in which he will be crucified by the hands of godless men through his own people, the Jews, yet he would be shamed, of course, in this moment, being an innocent man set among criminals who are guilty to be murdered because that's what happens when an innocent man receives capital punishment. It's murder. If it would be justified through a, uh, the reason of any guilt that would be applicable to that punishment and enforced policy, it would be a kill, a righteous kill. But as it stands, the Christ was murdered. However, always in control of this very moment, he knew when to allow the hands of godless men through the deliverance of a betrayer among his own culture and people, the Jews. And so here he is found when they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him 
and the criminals. And crucifixion certainly deserves its own session, if you will, to recognize the severity, the violence, the barbarism of this very act in which the Romans had perfected within the realm of torture upon a human being. It is recorded in history as one of the most gruesome and painful deaths anyone could go through, and of course the Romans would pride themselves of this very punishment. And here an innocent man is, of course, or has been falsely tried and, well, brought to his murder. And if that's not bad enough, this man was the Son of God, the Christ. How sad is that? As a, <laughs> as a shame stain on humanity, how we are so corrupt, so darkened of thought and practice, that we would take the pure significance and measurement of love, compassion, forgiveness, and murder him. Murder him. A man who can control the weather, <laughs> raise the dead, cast out demons, make whole the lame, cure the sick. Yeah, let's murder the guy. That seems like a reasonable act of virtue. Yeah, let's murder the man who came to liberate us from the shackles and bondage of tyranny. Yeah, that, that, that's what we did. And you would think, okay, fine, the Gentile, the Greek, the pagan, the heathen, those pesky Philistines, right? The foreigner. No, the Jews, his own people, his own siblings didn't believe in him. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. Do you know the trauma and the damage, emotional damage that comes from betrayal? one close to you in such a way. I mean, Jesus went through all of these things, abandoned, shunned, mocked, spat upon, all these things, ridiculed. So we find this account of a man, the Christ, the unlawful recipient of capital punishment, though in control of allowing it to take place. It was made permissible. Why? It had to. Why? Because... We could not have any hope, any hope of eternal well-being with God the Father if we could not go through the Son. And he loved us in such a unique account that the Father would send the Son to die. And it was pleasing to the Father, as the psalmist would write, for the Son to perish in such a way, the Father would be pleased because mankind would have opportunity and path to salvation, to be with Him, because He loves us. It's really that simple. God loves us, and He loves us so much, He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever don't matter your skin color, your geographical location on this planet Earth, your language, your religious or cultural background. It don't matter. 
whoever, that whoever should believe in him would not need to perish, but could have certain opportunities for eternal life. Absolutely. I don't know. I can't come up with anything better. What are you? I mean, are you kidding me? That's it. This is the truth. So he had to die, and here he is at this very moment with criminals. They have him to be murdered alongside criminals who deserve the punishment of the day under, of course, the socio-political policies of the oppression known as the Roman Empire. It was to be done that way. They were guilty and they needed to be punished in that severity. But why Jesus? Well, again, if you read the gospel, you'll find the accumulation of hostility towards the Christ because the Christ came to liberate the people from the bondage of the Sanhedrin and the corruption of the Pharisaical, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, the Sadducees, all of them who had since usurped their authority over the scriptures to interpret the text in such a way they would make themselves, of course, the gatekeeper. You know, the whole, I'm smart, you're stupid, you sit down, shut your mouth, I, I know everything, and so on and so forth. That kind of bullyish attitude against the people because they were greedy, the text would say. They were greedy, they were filled with pride and control and all these things. That sadly, a great many of our brethren are plagued with still today. Christ came to liberate them, tell them they don't need to follow these kinds. They don't need to be subject or subordinate to these kinds. They could be liberated from that bondage. It was a spiritual liberation from sin. They didn't like him for that. Absolutely not. They were losing control. You want to anger Diotrephes, you take away his control over the people. Why? Because if he lose control over the people, he can't control them anymore, and he can't have access to their wallets. Hmm. All right. So when they came to the place called the Skull, to this moment now, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals. One on the right and the other on the left. And of course, they slandered the Christ. They bore false witness against him. What did they call They called them everything you can call them. They called them the devil. They called them a thief. They called them a deceiver. All kinds of stuff. Again, a man who came to liberate us from the bondage of tyrants and dictators and sin, which is indeed a burden that has eternal consequence. Where is his mind? Where are his thoughts? We can see the temptation in having this moment in one's desperate desire to think selfishly. Look at what they're doing to me. I mean, we'd probably scream those things. Well, this is not fair. This is not fair. Not fair at all. But what? where is... Where is the mind and ministry of our Lord and Master? Father, speaking to his Father, forgive them. Who? The people. The very enemies who have nailed him to a cross. All of them. Everyone. 
from the Gentile to the Jew, to the Jew to the Gentile, all of them. And, of course, in close relation, if you look at the Gospel of John, Judas had uh, just recently brought this moment about. These were his were friends. These were his people. Humankind. Father speaking to his father. And the son was always obedient to the father for what the father thought the son did. And the, this verse of the equality of the Christ. Divine deity. God on earth. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Let me tell you something. There's such a depth of wisdom and selflessness in the Christ with these recorded words. And you can only truly tap into them if you, out of deep love and sorrow for those you cherish dearly, who have betrayed you, falsely accused you of all sorts of malicious words, and seek to have you crucified. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They're completely brainwashed and deceived by the hands of evil and it hurts him deeply the christ the messiah jesus while on this earth physically literally walking among us had the authority and power to forgive sins why on earth asks the father for it why would he need to ask the father for the people to be forgiven he could do that in a few brief verses he's going to do that with one of the criminals next to him. This statement is not a broad brush, uh, how should I say, um, how should I say this? Let me maybe back up and... At this very moment when Jesus said that, the people were not forgiven of their sins. This is not what took place. This is a man who, experiencing humanity as God in flesh in this vessel, who deeply loved the people and had compassion for them, had bid them, been with them for years, loved them so deeply he felt the need in prayer to cry to his father in such a compassionate way. They don't know what they're doing. But you see, the baptism of the Christ, this cross, this moment of death in which he allows, would bring forth the fruition for the redemptive path. It was necessary. It's very serious. It's very sobering and self-controlled. 
that's how he loved us. His thoughts still with the people, hostile towards him, murdering him. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. We've had sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, grandparents, uncles and cousins who have hurled all sorts of abuse against us and harsh persecution. Most times verbal, but I assure you at times physical. For speaking the gospel accuracy and the necessity of our repentance to know the love of Christ and to follow him as our master. These have brought forth a great many sorrows upon our hearts. Yet we love them. We are torn, aren't we not? To love them so much, yet to have them do such evil against us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. When the Christ could wash the feet of Judas, a greedy man, corrupted in his delinquency, Christ knowing he was going to do what he was going to do, yet still treated him as a brother. Father, forgive them, for they nah, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots, the text says, dividing up his garments among themselves. It's such a sad moment. Can we not thank God for the wisdom and instruction he has delivered our way through the penmanship of the Holy Spirit in regards to the function of worship on Sunday, where we partake of the Lord's Supper and we remember his body and his blood? It is designed for us to keep in remembrance his death. Can we not remember well, we can certainly, through the text, revealing an image of this man and how it must have been such a sorrowful moment. But those who loved him, seeing this friend, this man of great innocence, who had done such wonderful things among them, I mean, it must have been devastating. Devastating. And what brought him there? Sin. Sin. And the people stood by, it says in verse 35, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him. Saying, this is what they're saying. He saved others. Verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Wow. Wow. And that's sad. 
The soldiers also mocked him in verse 36, coming up to him, offering him sour wine. Wow. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They don't have a clue. They're lost. They're blinded by corruption. The Christ could have called 10,000 angels. We sing the song. Such mercy, such dedication and commitment, such powerful control of oneself. He experienced humanity just like you and I tempted in all things, man. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. If Christ was not tempted in all things like you and I, then he can't relate to you and I, and why are we following him? Ah? Uh ah? -huh. Uh -huh. We follow a king who understands us, not only through the hand of creation, ultimately, obviously, but through the like-mindedness of a brother walking in the vessel of these fleshly containers, if you will, to experience all things and being tempted in all things, yet said no to sin. The great example we should follow. Oh, it's a hard one, man. You know it. You and I at that moment, poof, with that kind of power? There's a reason I thank God every day. I'm not the judge. Folks get zapped and fried every other second. <laughs> Especially in today's world, man. Where uh, up is down, down is up, and right is wrong, and wrong is right, and evil is good, and good is evil. Hey, man, you know, men can be women today, right? No, you don't think so? You bigot. You bigot. Yeah, we'd be zapping folks left and right. It's a good thing God is in control. He's in control of this very moment. The very moment in which Satan thought he had conquered the quest of chaos upon mankind. He thought he had won the very point, the very accurate moment in which Satan thought himself victorious. He failed. Failed desperately. Christ was always in control and Christ could have Wipe them all out right there and then. And you know, you, you and I, we would have probably done that. We would probably wiped them all out right there. And we would have had some choice words against them, wouldn't we? But yet, what do we see our master do, say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. I don't know about you, but that's quite, that's, people don't do that. And people don't write that way. This is, of course, the revealing account witnessed showing how deep the love of Christ is, laying down one's life for his friends. That's, I mean, that's it. That's what's going on. And it's quite a powerful, powerful testament to the fact. He died for us. He shed his blood for you and I. Yet we want to size up and create and build up idols who seek our blood? No, man. No, man. Let's wisen up a bit, right? Let's get thinking. Want to be a free thinker? Let's start thinking freely. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They were mocking him. So sad. 
And so they, these soldiers there were mocking him, coming to him and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. <laughs> can you, can we, can we truly embrace how tempting that must have been? Like, come on, we read through this. Don't, don't, don't read this through the motions, being idle or in vain. Meditate on that. Think about that. Take these words. Take these words to heart, man. I mean, look at what's going on over here. Of course he can. Of course he could have stopped all of this. Instead of saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He could have said, Father, zap them right now. I can't stand these little ants. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Well, of course he could have saved himself. You know how tempting that is? <laughs> In common slang, someone's testing your gangster, and you know you about that life, and you, you know they don't want no smoke with you? Oh, I know what that's about. Oh, boys. They think because you're a Christian, they can walk all over you, and man, you get those past life moments. You're like, dude, if you only knew, man, if you only knew, you're a phone call away from being milk carton material, man. That's not the Christ. That's not what the Messiah was thinking. Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's something. Mercy. 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 The power to have completely wiped out humanity at that moment, but did not do that. Rather, saved mankind. Saved mankind. And you and I, we'd be quick to save our kids. Man, I'd lay down my life for my children. My wife, I know that. I've counted that cost. I hope that don't happen, but I assure you, uh, I'm going out blasting. If it's to save my wife and my kids... But to do so for an enemy? A betrayer? Man, I don't know about that one, right? I don't know, man. That's a... That seems... It just don't seem... Don't even seem fair, almost. It doesn't seem just. What, are you kidding me? Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? What do you mean? What kind of craziness is this? Why do you think the account of his teaching is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and how we should be? It's completely upside down from what the world was living and believing in the first century. And wouldn't you know it, still today, these words, <laughs> well and alive, and are needed. Man, we need Jesus double time, man. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're mocking him. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. He could have. He could have. He did not. Because there was a greater plan needing to be accomplished. And you know what? There it is. When you and I go through those moments, those hard, challenging moments, as the recipients of betrayal, slander, false witness, Malicious words, evil workers, sheeps, 
uh, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, diatrophies, everything this world has to throw our way, the hostilities of a corrupt government, everything you can think of coming our way. What do we do? Think of the greater plan. Make it to heaven and bring as many with you as you can. Because you and I don't have the power, but Christ certainly does. And so let's follow him together, shall we? Now, there was also an inscription above him. It says in verse 38, this is the king of the Jews. <laughs> they, <laughs> they really would. They, they must not have liked that one all that much. They, you know, these, these Jews, they, they're the ones who bring the Christ to the hands of godless men to be crucified, to be murdered. Remember, they didn't have that power. They didn't have that jurisdiction. They could not say, we're going to kill him and produce that action from the thought. They could have the thought, but they had to plot and twist and snare and deceive. They had to bring him to the Romans to be found guilty of something so severe that they would murder him for them. Well, he's not keeping the peace. You know, peace in Rome is the most important thing for the Roman mind. Let's keep these pesky little Jews quiet. We don't want no riots. We don't want nothing to break the peace in Rome. Oh, but we have a man here named Jesus. He's breaking the peace. We've got a problem here, man. He'll rise up a riot and a protest against you. He's unsafe. Best to get rid of him. Anything they could use. Anything they could say. Now, there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. And they, were, yeah, they must have really sneered at that one. Like, gnashed their teeth at that. How Change that right now. You know, he's not our king. So one of the criminals in verse 39 who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him. I mean, it's not bad enough we have to suffer on this cross. Can you just imagine? Look at the medical... Con you really have to do a study of this. Oh, yeah. You have to do a study of the cross. And the medical... The medical report that would be revealed from the pain and suffering at the hands of this Roman execution... And you want to hurl abuse at me? Dude, you're dying and suffering just like I am. What's the matter with you? Like, I, again, in our minds, it's a difficult concept to grasp. I'd be like, I'd be like, shut your mouth, man. What are you talking about? Why are you hurling at me? We're dying here and we're in pain. What do you mean? One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Interesting, isn't it, though? Those same words could be said from the motive of a pure heart, an honest heart, a seeking heart, and that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? It's interesting to me, and is it, I am sure, same for you, how same words... And the wrong hearts can mean a totally different game. Right? 
If you've been following our podcast sessions for a while, you're accustomed to this illustration. I'm going to share with you two individuals, same community. Two individuals, same community, asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? Two individuals, same community, asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? What's the difference? Well, you see, one of them is asking for public assistance because his house just been broken into. And the other one's asking that same question, but for a very different reason. He just broke into his neighbor's house. He's seeking to avoid the law. Are there any police officers here? Are you not the Christ? Save us. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Hurling abuse. And it is abuse. Well, in verse 40, but the other answered, the other criminal, and rebuked this here criminal who's hurling abuse at Jesus. He says, do you not even fear God? You're about to die. Have you no fear of God at all in you? Like, are you totally, totally void of conscience, of inner thought? Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And that's interesting, isn't it? This here criminal, he has some knowledge. We don't know to what measurement, but it's enough. It may not have exceeded his peers, but it's enough. And sometimes, friends, enough is enough. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We're about to die and be eternally lost. <laughs> We've been condemned in this physical realm, and we're off to the next. I mean, of course, depending on which religious worldview they would find. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, by the way. The Sadducees? No, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Why do you think they got so triggered and angry at Jesus when he rose Lazarus from the dead? <laughs> Come on, man. You see that, don't you? Yeah, man, the Sadducees, they were all up in their triggered moment they need they wanted to murder jesus right there and then why because jesus rose a man who'd been dead for four days proving the very fact that yeah there is a resurrection of the dead sadducees can't have that gotta get rid of him why because we've all just been proven wrong we've all just been refuted and we can't accept that why because we're always right we're always right that's just like the account in mark in which the scribes called Jesus the devil. See, because they, be they can't be wrong. Oh, no, no. These types? Uh, no, they're never wrong. They've always got an answer for you. They can't be wrong. They called Jesus the devil. They said, that's how you manage to cast out demons. You're the devil. 
that's how completely corrupted you can become when your heart's so darkened in pride and control and greed. And these same divisive tongues are well and alive in the church today. We've got to be careful. We've got to discern these kinds. Mark them. Get rid of them. Don't come close to them. They're bad deals, man. Toxic people. So the Sadducees wanted to get rid of the Christ because, well, the Christ proved the point. There is a resurrection of the dead. And the scribes over in the Gospel of Mark calling Jesus the devil, and that's how he manages to cast out demons. Man, oh man. This is... This, what a shame upon... What a shame upon ourselves as humanity, right? To do that. Not only to God, but to ourselves. Completely, completely opposite and contradictory to the teaching of the Christ, which is all about love one another. <laughs> Forgive one another. Have mercy on one another. Be united. Be united as one. In the same location, the teaching of the uniqueness of the church therein, through the common salvation, all who have believed and been immersed into Christ as legal citizens of his kingdom, to worship him in spirit and truth, and to certainly practice discipline so as to keep the bad fruits out before they infect, recruit, and devour the weak. So here's the crucifixion and the Christ, what does he say to all of these? These Sadducees, these scribes, the Jews, the Romans, everyone. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Have you ever had that emotional sorrow towards brethren you love but you know they are evil and toxic. Father, forgive them, man. They don't know what they're doing. They're going to know on the day they meet you. I pray they can repent, they can change, so that instead of being enemies, we can be friends, we can be brethren, we can be in fellowship, united. The devil, he don't like unity. He don't like it. Divide and conquer. One of the criminals who were hang uh, who who uh, who were hanged, or one of the criminals who were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him. The other ones answering that guy and being like, "What's the matter with you, man? Aren't you? I mean, have you no fear of God? We're about to die. We're in agony here. We're in agony here, and we indeed are suffering justly." For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The devil's always going to want to accuse and hurl and abuse the innocent. It just is what it is. We've been the recipients of that nonsense and every faithful Christian will have it. It just is what it is. And it'll come from those closest to us. Professional liars, bold-faced liars, who if we're not paying attention, 
will have us charmed into the deceit that all the chaos they are causing is somehow righteous and Christ-like. You don't think that's what the people had been bamboozled to believe from the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders of the day? Oh, it was a good thing happening right now. We're, we finally got rid of him. That's what we needed to do. You don't think Saul was fully convinced and sincere of his path to remove those who belong to the way? He's still doing the same thing today. He'll destroy marriages. He'll destroy churches. He'll destroy families. He'll destroy friendships. He'll want to crucify the innocent. And he'll have those who are weak and worldly, who are easily recruited and devoured, to believe that the innocent party is the guilty party. And indeed, the guilty party must be the innocent party. I'm fully convinced in my conscience we're right and they're wrong. It's all their fault we did nothing wrong. We needed to get rid of Jesus. Just is what it is. We still have brethren today who follow the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Diotrephes, and Judas. They can't discern the difference between Diotrephes and Demetrius. Yet what does the Christ say to all of it? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. So through the portion of the account in which these commonly known as the thieves on the cross or the thief on the cross, it continues and says, and we indeed are suffering justly. You see, you have one criminal who's hurling all sorts of things against the Christ and the other ones answering him say, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? I mean, that makes no sense. We're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong, the text says. Leave Jesus alone. The man's innocent. We deserve to be where we're at. We deserve what we're getting. Now that takes a humble heart. With that kind of pain he's going through, but a few moments away from his departure, in such a violent way, such a painful way, this is what he's thinking? We deserve this pain. But this man over here, Jesus, he don't deserve this pain. So leave him alone. What's the matter with you? Can't you be humble even at this moment? You know, we have some who are going to depart from this earth with no moment of remorse, no moment of humble repentance. They won't. I know that's hard for some brethren to accept or to wrap their mind around, but there are some brethren who are so evil and prideful. It doesn't matter what evidence you would have to give them. They're going to depart this earth fully convinced in their own selves. You know, the Pharisees, quite interesting, the Pharisees thought salvation was in the law. And because they knew the law, they thought salvation was in themselves. They missed it. They missed it. If they would only have recognized that through the law, pointing to a greater power, who? The lawgiver. See, the faithful follow Jesus. That's the difference. 
And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you enter. What does it say? Jesus, you remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he, this man, this criminal, he has some knowledge. And it would have been understood because, I mean, the Christ had fame. He was known. I mean, you can't raise the dead, control the weather, make whole the lame, cast out demons, cure the sick. You can't know the inner hearts of mankind in such a measurement that is unknown for us, natural men. It's un- We don't have that supernatural power. He was known. People spoke about him. People went to hear him and see him. This criminal might have been well-versed and understood under the teachings and instructions of John the Baptist. And then over to the Messiah. He knew something because he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what are the first recorded words of the Messiah in Matthew, I believe chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere is in there, repent for the kingdom of God. All over the Gospels, the word of the kingdom spoken. And here is this criminal saying, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And of course, Jesus says to him in verse 43, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Why? Because he had repented, his mind has, had changed, and he produced a fruit of that change within his heart when he stood up for Jesus and defended Jesus and asked Jesus, Could you remember me? And isn't it yet again interesting how the Christ in this severe condition, sorrow and pain, had his mind to save mankind. And while Christ walked on this earth, literally, physically, had that authority to forgive sins, and he still does today, just not in the literal physical form among us. Now it is through, of course, what we will soon see. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. You walk further down the line there a few verses and you find the burial of the Christ where a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good a good and upright, righteous man. Interesting, isn't it? It says of him in verse 51, he had not consented to their plan and action. He wasn't going to, he was going to be participating in the murder of the Christ, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Stick with it, man. Verse 51, verse 42. Verse 42, you have a repentant criminal, a thief, who is asking Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. In verse 51, we have this man named Joseph, 
a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. People had heard the message. The message had been proclaimed, even from his disciples sent out in the limited commission, speaking the words of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, this kingdom is revealed by the mind and mouth of God through the, the Christ speaking. I will build my church. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, the word spoken and recorded there of this kingdom, it would be seen by those of the first century. Some would still be alive in the first century to see the kingdom of God. And it would make sense since here we find Joseph waiting for the kingdom of God and finding the words of this criminal speaking to the Christ and saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. The mind of the Christ to all these people, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. It's amazing how anyone cannot find this information interesting at the very least, man, just... I can't understand it. I, I, I used to understand it in my past life, of course. You couldn't get me to read this book. I couldn't stand this book. Get this book away from me. But now? It's the only place I can go to find answers in life. It really is. Life is hard. Life is challenging. Life's not fair. Life's unjust. Evil people get away with all kinds of evil things. How, why is that? Why are there natural disasters? Why do people act so evil? Why is there murder? Why is there this? Why, why do we got to go through all of this nonsense? What's the answers to life? Why are my loved ones dying? Why? What's going on? Then you find some answers in this book because they give you the answers to this book. How can we persevere through these moments as Christians being persecuted by our own kind, nearest and dearest? How? This book has the answers. That's why. Let's just follow Jesus. We don't need to follow Diotrephes. Let's get rid of him. We don't need to follow the Pharisees. Let's get rid of them. We don't need the, the ocean of denominational worldviews and creeds and statements of faith and traditions. We don't need that. That was birthed from the mind of men trying to create Christianity in their own image. We don't need that. Let's leave all of that behind. Let's unite together under the same umbrella, the teaching of the Messiah, the doctrine of our Lord and Master. He will teach us love. He will teach us unity. He will bless us. He will allow us the forgiveness of our sins. And man, sin is a heavy burden, dude. It's a heavy burden. Living the consequences of sinful activity, thoughts, words, speech, actions, practice, man, it's a heavy one. Don't need to live that way anymore. 
Our Lord and Master, His yoke is easy. His burden is light. For the thief on the cross, in physical literal form, next to the Christ, in physical literal form, nailed to a cross, that very day, paradise was available. But you and I, we live after that moment, don't we? You and I, we live after the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ. So how do you and I receive the forgiveness of our sins? You and I can't become thieves, wait for the Christ to once again literally physically walk among us so that a Roman government through the hands of a Jewish people are delivered over to us now nailed to a cross where I have to wait and look at Jesus for him to tell me, hey, listen, you can be in paradise with me today. We don't need to go through that. Don't We don't need to do that, do we? What a foolish thing that many religious individuals snared and misguided in the falsehoods of religious error would seek to be nailed to a cross as a thief. We don't need to do that. Well, what do we need to do? Well, do we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God? Do we recognize who He is? Have we learned who He is through the, the descriptive pen of the Holy Spirit, through the image in which the, in which the Scriptures reveal? Do we know who He is? Do we want to follow Him? Do we believe in Him? Because John, in his Gospel, chapter 1, would say that some receive and some believe, which makes them qualify to the new birth. Do we receive Jesus? Do we believe in Jesus? Can we at least seek to comprehend the kind of love that the Christ has for all of us in saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing? Can we tap into that love? Well, certainly. In the recorded account of the book of Acts, we see all of this come to fruition. For birth from the mind of God and prophesied through the prophets of old, promised by the Christ and purchased by his blood, it must be practiced by our faith. And we saw the kingdom of God spoken and prophesied promised and purchased and it is recorded forevermore time in the pages of acts chapter 1 and acts chapter 2 and all who sought legal citizenry within this unique church to which christ said i will build my church his kingdom to which he is crowned king upon the fulfillment of the gospel you and i follow that example to receive the forgiveness of sins as it was so declared when their hearts were pierced after hearing the evidence in which their hands were filled with the blood of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do? What can we do? We want to be in a right relationship with God. We are pierced. We believe. We understand what you've just said, as, of course, the apostles stood up among the people and proclaimed the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Messiah. And what was the answer given? Repent, change your mind, which would change di your direction in life, producing fruits of that repentance. Repent, change your mind. And let every one of you, each and every one of you, each accountable, independent mind, be immersed.
calling on his name, for therein lies the power and authority. His name is the authority in which can save your soul. Repent and let each and every one of you be baptized. Baptized, immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried. That's only complicated if sin is in the way. I believe in Jesus. I confess him as my Lord and Master, my King, my Ruler. What he says, I will do. I qualify. As a repentant believer confessing him as my Lord and Master, I qualify. Qualify for what? Legal citizenry within his kingdom. How do I get in there? Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Well, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Of course, yes, absolutely. Well, all right, then you qualify. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they went down into the water. Philip immersed him, right? It wasn't through the power of Philip that man was saved. No, it wasn't through the power of the water. Water don't have no power, right? No, it's not because he was meritoriously earning anything which would violate the teachings of Paul to the Christians in Ephesus chapter 2, right? No. So what was it? A humble, repentant, submissive, obedient mind to that doctrine. The gift of the gospel, forgiveness, is available to all. As a repentant believer confessing Christ as your Lord and Master, Qualifying to being immersed. Born again. Out of water and the Spirit. To a newness of life. Now the world out there in the ocean of denominationalism, they ain't going to teach you that truth. They're too smart for us. You and I, we just common folk. Our edumacation just a little bit. Tell you this much. I'd rather enter heaven as a dummy than enter hell as I, enter hell as Einstein. Repent and let each and every one of you be immersed, be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Peter said the same thing. First Peter three twenty one. Paul all over the place spoke these things. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Colossians 2, 12. I mean, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Jesus himself, whoever believes and is baptized, shall be saved. Whoever does not believe is never going to have enough faith to be immersed for the forgiveness of sins. They're not going to call on the name of the Lord to be immersed, born again. They're not going to do that. So they're going to remain condemned. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. That was a man, the Christ, God on earth, expressing his purpose, his thought, his love for humanity, even those who are hostile towards him. If you can tap into that love, you won't question him. You won't question him. 
It's the door into legal citizenry within the kingdom. You must be immersed. When you come up out of that water, saved by the power of Jesus Christ, you are now an added member of his body, his assembly, his congregation, his church, his kingdom. That's why you see in the pages of the Holy Writ, speaking of a coming kingdom, And then from the moment that kingdom's doors opened for citizenry in Acts, well, what do you find after the book of Acts? Romans, through Revelation, they are speaking in past tense to the kingdom having been founded. It's there. It's here. It's now. You can be a legal citizen of the kingdom. Do you understand the love of Christ when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing? Yes, you do then I would consider you turn to Acts twenty two sixteen. What are you waiting for? Really, you don't need to go check with your pastors, your reverends, your priests, your popes, your moms, your dads, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. You don't need to go anywhere else. Go to Acts chapter 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up. Get to it. Be baptized, calling on his name, and have your sins washed away. If you're on the East Coast over here, and you're seeking a healthy church, which belongs to Jesus Christ, contact us, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, eastcoastchurchofchrist at gmail.com. We're a growing church. Renewals, baptisms, Family, family, fellowship, hope, unity, forgiveness, the truth. It's here for you, man. It is. All right, well, that will conclude our session for this Saturday evening. We're about an hour and ten minutes into it. I wanted to stop at an hour, but, you know, had to add a bit more information there for us, and I hope that it was well-received. I do hope and pray that there is value and substance in the things being shared. Please consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can sign up there for free, but you can choose to support this kind of work. The Added Souls Ministry, you can support. No amount is too low, no amount is too high, and you will have access to exclusive content therein. That's how I build tents, if you will, as I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. Jesus didn't die for nothing. We have value in his eyes. We are worth something to him. Stay focused, stay positive. I do pray you have a wonderful evening and let us be ready for tomorrow, of course, to congregate, to be built up as we worship God in spirit and truth. What a wonderful thing that is, the first day of the week, right? <laughs> we eagerly anticipate that day. It's so nice to be assembled in tranquility and peace, the truth, where we are humble and seeking the truth and wanting the truth and living the truth. And it's just a beautiful thing. It really is. All right, Lord willing, we shall see each other Monday as we go live from Monday to Friday, 10 a.m., Atlantic Daylight Time. Each day has its theme. On Monday, I share the sermon with you. 
on Tuesday, we do an analyzing of the lyric. Find a song in the secular world, break down the lyrics, and have a conversation about that. On Wednesdays, we study the scriptures. We've been going through the book of Genesis. On Thursdays, it's a topical discussion. And on Fridays, we have ourselves a bit of a, uh, should I say, political rant from one end to another, perhaps, with sociopolitical conversations and landscape. If you have any suggestions, if you have any concerns or questions, everything we do is transparent and we hold dear to the uh, integrity of our work. And you can reach out to us. We can have a video chat. We can have an email exchange. We can have all those wonderful things. That okay? All right, my friends. Peace out.